Hello, I'm Bob Fisher, and this is Design Intelligence. Jenna Knudsen is the first female and youngest managing principal of Co-Architects. She is a longtime advocate for equal representation, spearheading initiatives to support and encourage women in architecture. On this edition of This is Design Intelligence, she talks about what drew her to the practice of architecture, her transition to a leadership role in a traditionally male-dominated profession, and what she and her firm are doing to cultivate an environment that is not just accepting, but embraces diversity of perspectives. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. Jenna, welcome to This is Design Intelligence. Thanks for agreeing to spend some time with us. Thanks for having me. Well, we're honored to have you. So you are the managing principal at Co-Architects in California. The press release that announced your promotion said that you are both the youngest architect to hold that position and the first woman. So Jenna, tell us a bit about your journey and how you wound up uh, becoming managing principal of Co-Architects. Well, what What drew me to architecture was an interest in trying to create a floor plan for my very large family um, where everyone, myself specifically, could have their own room. And in doing that, uh, my father, I think, recognized an interest and really encouraged and supported architecture as a profession. So since I was about 10, I have said that I wanted to be an architect. And I went to uh, USC when I was 18 and studied architecture. And then the first job I had was, was at Co-Architects. We were Anshin and Allen at the time, but I, I joined the firm and the work was largely in the same markets that we, we work in today and our experts, which was healthcare and, and higher ed, science and technology, um, and civic work. And I, I started, uh, the first project I worked on out of school was uh, a major replacement hospital. And I was really drawn to just the complexity of the problem in healthcare and also the great need for really good design uh, in a building type that, the, that its occupants could benefit from. And so I've spent a lot of my career in healthcare have also worked across, you know, many of our other project types in, in laboratories and, and health sciences, um, a lot of education work. And I, I just, I appreciate the, the kind of mission of the clients that we work for. I, I appreciate the work that is done in those buildings, the important, you know, teaching and research and devotion to really solving uh, some of the world's most pressing problems. And organizationally, I have been able to kind of always be challenged at co-architects. I've had many different roles over the years, both in project types and internally within the organization. As a practice, we really encourage initiatives uh, that come from from the staff. and, And I've been involved in many of those initiatives over the years. And so co has been a place where I have have made my home that I've always felt challenged, that I always felt that I had a voice and could bring forth an opinion uh, about something that I saw. And so uh, I think in that diversity of of roles and and responsibilities and and years of tenure, 
um, and really an interest in the business of architecture uh, is, you know, how I became managing principal, but probably more importantly, why I stay at co-architects and um, the environment that I think we endeavor to always support within co. You've been managing principal for about 18 months. If you could go back a few years even to past Jenna and give her some advice based on what you know today, what would you tell her? Oh, that's a good question. I feel very fortunate because the transition was very thoughtful and I worked very closely with my predecessor, um, the former managing principal, and continue to work closely with him. Uh, He remains very active in the practice to think about the transition, uh, like I said, very, very thoughtfully, you know, worked with him very closely, uh, even before we had formalized any kind of transition, just really understanding what the role of managing principal meant and, you know, how he approached that role and how I might approach it differently. And so in that way, I think that was, that set me up for success. And I, I, attribute his thoughtfulness um, in terms of of making that successful. I'm not sure if if I told myself <laughs> 18 months ago or three years ago, you know, I think that the thing that that a lot of a lot of it is sort of learning by doing. And um, so I did feel well prepared. You know, I I I certainly in the day to day am learning about what it means to be managing principal and but I, I, I'm not sure there's something I could I could have told myself to be prepared for. So there were a lot of surprises. No, I wouldn't say surprises. I would say having been with the with the company for many years, having been a, a principal and therefore a leader for many years, and and again watching my predecessor in the in the position, I think I was well prepared but you don't know what you don't know. And there are things that that come up uh, in any given day. I would say the days are different. Um, you know, that's probably one of the, the main things that's different for me is I, you know, I'm not, any number of things can come across my desk or, you know, people coming into my office to, you know, to chat about things. So I've learned that that I have to make the time for that, carve out that time because I don't know when something will require my attention, if that makes sense. We're at a point in history where there's a large generational transition happening, and leadership transition is something that's on the minds of a lot of firms, and many firms struggle with leadership transition. Now, you've started to paint a picture of a pretty well-handled transition to your assuming the managing principal role what are some of the lessons that you think that you would take forward from your experience that others could emulate or that you might uh, put in place when it's time for you to transition to a future generation? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And, and I agree, there seems to be a lot of organizations thinking about, about transition. I, I do think that within the ethos of co-architects, we value transition and it is something that we are constantly thinking about. We we talk about uh, ourselves as a firm into perpetuity. It's a, it's broadly held. Many partners 
Um, there are 12 principals within the within the firm, um, 21 shareholders, and and so it's never about one individual um, or any you know sort of specific individuals. Um, the approach is that we are the caretakers for the future generation. Uh, the name co-architects means jointly or with, so we are not named after any partners past or present. And, and so I think w- with that, that carries a, um, a way of thinking that we should always be thinking about transition. And, and so if I'm thinking about what I would want to do in the future, I think it would, it would be, you know, that we are talking about transition, that we are thinking about the next generation of leaders, uh, and that we are actively growing many individuals within the organization to, to be able to be future leaders. So tell me about your approach to helping identify and develop future leaders. I feel that that one is, um, is the responsibility of, of all of the principles. Um, and, you know, in an organization of 165 people, um, obviously have to rely on many of, uh, of the leaders within the firm to be identifying individuals with specific talents uh, and, you know, helping to mentor and cultivate them. That said, you know, I think that for me, the approach is really to spend time with individuals, you know, sort of learn what people's interests are, uh, try to find opportunities for them to both pursue those interests and passions and also maybe challenge them in other areas. One of the things that I sort of credit in my journey is that I usually said yes to opportunities that were presented to me, whether it was something that I was seeking out or not. And I think that that often exposed me to um, to different facets of the profession, introduced me to different people and organizations, both internally and externally. And I, I believe that part of being a mentor and an advocate is to also present opportunities to individuals that perhaps they have not considered for themselves and to see where that could go. So how would you describe the culture of mentorship at Co? I think it it takes on many characteristics. Um, So we do have a formal mentorship program. It's one that we have developed over uh, a number of years and, you know, continue to um, adjust as we receive feedback, but I think works quite well, which is, and, and it's pretty simple. Uh, it is formal in a sense that it's not required, um, but one does sign up and fill out a, uh, a questionnaire of a few questions. Uh, really, it's about your interests and, uh, and then who you think in the organization would make a good mentor for you in that year. And it's a one-year pairing. So beyond the kind of formalness of the pairing, the two individuals determine for themselves how they will engage. And, um, you know, and we did uh, provide 
money. Uh, you know, we do have a budget for it so that people can go to lunch or go to coffee. And I think that certainly um, helps keep the program going. And because it's for one year, I think people really appreciate that they can have many different mentors over their career. And at any given time, I think people have really thought about what they see in their immediate future and, you know, who would be a good mentor. So that that's the formal mentorship program. Also, certainly we are very project centric. All of the principals in the organization, including myself, work on projects. And so much of the mentorship, you know, occurs at a project level as well. You know, again, sort of more formal, you know, maybe uh, teaching somebody how to be a project manager, how to run a project um, and, you know, sort of guiding them, um, being an advocate for them with the client um, or just the more kind of technical components um, or design development of creating architecture. Let's talk a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's no secret that uh, we work in a profession and in an industry that has not been terribly diverse. And there's been a lot of attention and a lot of effort to try to make positive change in that area. I know that this is something you're very passionate about. Uh, Tell us how this came to be a passion. Sure. I am passionate about the topic. Um, And I would say that for me, it was very much an evolution. I was encouraged to consider architecture from my father because he saw me having an interest. And so through that, I was encouraged. Um, We didn't you know, we didn't have, I didn't have any architects in my family, nor any close relationships with, with architects, but it was a profession that was planted at an early age as, as an option. And, um, and so it never occurred to me that it was not an option as, as a woman to be an architect. When I went to school, um, I would say women were not, you know, was not, it was not a 50, 50, But um, there were certainly a number of women. But as I progressed in my career, um, I did start to notice that there were less and less women as the years went on. For me, the the interest, um, you know, as a woman was trying to understand what is it about architecture that maybe creates unique challenges for women. And um, I think this aligned at a timely point with the conversation in the profession around equity within the overall profession of architecture. And so I think it's obviously a multifaceted issue, but it starts with representation that, um, you know, women just were not exposed to the profession of architecture. And um, I think as that has changed, um, that has certainly uh, created a a greater representation where, you know, women see other women in roles in architecture, uh, including leadership roles. And so that makes it possible. I think there's also an aspect of of acceptance. I think the profession uh, and the world has changed to the point where there's a recognition that different approaches and styles, you know, within both design and uh, leadership of, of architecture are beneficial, that more voices and differences can be of benefit. And, uh, and so I think by including more women and underrepresented minorities, 
the profession and architecture has has become richer. And then finally, I think really thinking about flexibility, women still carry a larger burden of responsibilities in the home. And so it's been very important to really consider what does that mean and um, how can architecture and co-architects specifically be a place that recognizes that and is a place where parents, uh, not just women, but you know, parents um, or caretakers of any kind can work and also have a family. So there are a few different levels that we could look at diversity, equity, and inclusion. We could look at it on an individual level. We can look at it on a team level, on a firm level, and an industry level. What we have the most influence over, though, is our direct sphere. So as the managing principal at Co, what do you see as your role? What is it that, that you all are doing and that you personally are doing to try to improve uh, DEI at the firm? Yeah, I mean, we, we've made really significant advances in the last five to 10 years to the point where we are 50-50. And a lot of that really came with a pretty simple approach, which was in our hiring, we wanted to have broad representation of those who were participating in interviews. And so making sure that not just from our architectural perspectives, you know, somebody who is sort of deeply passionate uh, about design and, and, you know, somebody who is deeply passionate about, you know, project delivery, but having gender representation uh, within the interviews. And in doing that, we still hired the candidates that we felt were the best candidates. We just were able to hire more women. And, um, and I think that that made a very significant difference. So that, that's one thing. Um, the other is just organizationally, uh, I think that we have recognized certainly the value of diverse voices. And again, that's not just in, in gender diversity, but making sure that we are a place where we make room for all voices. You know, I think often organizations have a culture and that culture can perpetuate sameness. You know, everybody sort of acts this way or, you know, this is how we do things. And so part of our culture that I think we have to continually reinforce is, you know, good ideas can come from anywhere. There are different styles and we need to make sure that we are making room and encouraging um, everyone to participate in all aspects of the practice. When you have a diversity of viewpoints and a diversity of voices, that can lead to disagreements potentially. How do you all at Co-Architects manage these kind of challenges? Well, that becomes the responsibility of leadership, certainly, if we're talking about within a project, for example. To, to really make sure that everybody knows the direction, right? So we're all rowing in the same direction. What are the goals for the project? Um, what are the client's goals? Uh, if we can agree on mission, vision, values, then I think working through the different ideas, it becomes a process of really evaluating, you know, what, what here is solving the problem in the best way and 
achieving alignment with with that mission. So on projects, if everybody agrees on a project, on a common set of goals, they sort of have a common foundation. Uh, it seems like there's an analogy there to the culture of the firm. Is that how how far off am I in in thinking about it that way? No, I, I think you're I think you're right on. Um, I mentioned that we have twelve principles, and um, we are a consensus based organization. So it is important that um, we are working together to hear the diversity of perspectives, but also come to a common understanding and and. Often those conversations revolve around core values. And I think ultimately, often the decisions, once we can really put it through the lens of, you know, core values and and co-architects, you know, it often becomes pretty obvious to everyone where we need to go. So what are some of the lessons learned or biggest challenges that you've faced in trying to help your firm be more diverse? Being in Los Angeles, we are fortunate that we live in a diverse city and um, the diversity of candidates is uh, is there. So I think in that way, we are fortunate uh, that we can find really good people who are also diverse. I think the challenge just uh, just becomes to reinforce our intent is to hire the very best the very best people. That is our goal. That is what we do. That is what I believe we have here at CoArchitects. And that includes a diversity of people. Do you feel like the approach that you all have taken to diversity, equity, and inclusion can be emulated by other firms? Uh, Where is it that other firms need to find their own approach? And where is it that they need to embrace maybe some common approaches or principles or ideas? I mean, I think there are lessons to be learned. You know, as I mentioned, just having the representation when it comes to hiring, I think was really pretty critical. And I think that's a fairly simple, it it may mean that certain people are participating in, in a lot more of the interviews, but, you know, I think that that that's a pretty simple approach that, that we've seen to have an impact um, and and likely could for others. Um, I also think it's having many conversations. It's not a one and done conversation. You know, different people are at kind of different levels of of the conversation and um, are going to have diverse perspectives on you know, how a firm would want to approach diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I would say the most important thing is just having the conversation within leadership, you know, reaching out to to other organizations, um, you know, who would also be having similar conversations and being okay that sometimes the conversations can be uncomfortable, um, but they are important conversations. And, you know, I think I think that's important. So CoArchitects is very well respected for large-scale academic laboratory and healthcare projects, and you do projects all over the country. A lot of the times, your clients are institutions, and we know that institutions don't always like to change, do things differently, or move rapidly. How is it that you reconcile trying to bring diverse design voices into this kind of space? 
Yeah, well, probably one of the the most important things is that those institutions tend to be diverse. There is typically multiple clients, right? And and ultimately often a, you know, a public entity, so a building for the public, and tend to have diverse representation. So uh, I think in that regard, there has not been a challenge. In fact, it's been quite beneficial that the representation of co-architects and our teams is representative of the community that we live in and the communities with which we we work. So in a lot of cases, it's been very natural. It has. Yeah, I would say very natural is exactly what it has been. How has the diversity of those who design within the firm changed design at co-architects? I think the role of design leadership has evolved over the last many years from a, uh, I think there is not a singular author. The goal is that you have many contributors and yes, you need a design leader, uh, as I spoke about, who is setting direction, um, often editing, making sure that, um, that there's a cohesive whole, but most everyone who's who works in architecture got into architecture because they love design. And so the process really needs to be inclusive. There's a lot of talk and a lot of interest about creating more equitable environments. How do you define equitable environments and how do you go about creating more equitable environments? Well, my understanding of equity is that not every individual needs the same thing, right? So it's trying to sort of meet people where they are, um, as opposed to equality, which means give everybody the same thing. So if we're considering equitable environments, uh, I think really what that means is understanding any organization is made up of individuals And those individuals have different perspectives, different life experiences, um, and different approaches, and really trying to cultivate that and generate an environment that is not just accepting, but embracing of those differences. Well, Jenna, thanks so much for joining us on This is Design Intelligence. We really appreciate all of the perspective that you've brought to us, uh, and it's been great to be with you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.